back, seeing a little more of us. I hope that's a good thing, not a bad thing. <laughs> um, really, as Pastor Ego was, was speaking and ministering during the worship, some of the, the portions of the song, songs that we sang, um, it just confirmed to me the, the word that the Lord has given me to share uh, this morning. So I, I really am uh, looking forward to sharing what God has placed on my heart. Um, this morning, I'm actually going to open up with a scripture that for years has fascinated me. Have you ever found a portion of scripture that just captivates you? It, it, there's something about that scripture that you love. And I don't mean that, it doesn't mean that you understand it fully. But have you ever come across a portion of scripture that just captivates you, it fascinates you? Has that happened to anybody here? Show of hands. Well, this portion of scripture is, is such a, a, a portion of the Bible that does that to my life. For years, this scripture has fascinated me. And I've shared this scripture many times with people who want more from God, with people who recognize that God has more for their lives. But until recently, I've never shared it in a Sunday setting the way I'm going to share it today. And if you'd like to, you could turn there. It's in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. It's a very well-known portion of scripture. I'm sure if you've read the Gospels, you have come across this, uh, these verses. Verse 57 of chapter 9. Are we there? All right. It says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. How many of you know that it takes a lot to say that to Jesus? I know people who to this day can't say that to Jesus. So it's safe to say that this person had to muster up a lot of courage to mention, to say these words to Jesus. And what was Jesus' reply to him in verse 58? Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Am I the only one that didn't expect Jesus to give him that answer? Show of hands. If I say to the Lord, Lord, wherever you go, I will follow you. I would expect to hear from God. My son, the same way the Father provides for me, he will provide for you. The same power that you see me when you follow me, I'm going to give you that power. That's what I want to hear. I wouldn't expect Jesus to say to me, listen, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but Jesus has nowhere to lay his head. That means if I follow you, I'm going to have nowhere to lay my head as well. It's not that, that's not the call I'm looking for. That's not the invitation I would want to hear from Jesus when I say to him, I'm going to follow you wherever. So it's not looking very good for this group. Verse 59 then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Did he say, no, Jesus, I'm not going to follow you? He didn't say that. He simply said, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go preach the kingdom of God. Again, not really the answer that I was expecting to hear from Jesus 
Instead of saying, listen, your father's dead. They haven't buried him. They're he's being prepared. In Jewish custom, they would prepare the body for burial. He's being prepared. He's not ready. You've left your dead father, and you're following me along the road. That takes a lot. No, he didn't say that. He said, the dead bury the dead. He's just called this man what? Dead. Let the dead bury the dead. But you go preach the kingdom. And to another, he said. Lord, I will follow. Or another one said to him. Lord, I will follow you. But let me first go and bid farewell to those who are at my house. This man had a family. It's possible that he had um, employees. And he said to the Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to go wherever you go. I know you just told this man that you have nowhere to lay your head. I'm going to go. But first, let me take care of my house and put it in order before I leave. Not a crazy request, correct? It's not, it's not a crazy request. Verse 62, Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom. Man, right? <laughs> what happened to the Jesus of compassion? What happened to he who came to serve the friend of sinners? What? Did Jesus have a bad day? Did he get up on the wrong side of the bed because he has nowhere to lay his head? It's safe to say that his interaction with those people who were on the journey with him at the very least was rough. Agreed? Can we show hands? Because I want to make sure we all agree. At the very least, Jesus was being rough with these people. But why? Why was Jesus treating these people like that? Why was Jesus showing such little compassion to these people who were willing to follow him on the journey? Not everybody was willing to follow him on the journey, correct? But these people were. These people were willing to follow Jesus on his journey, on his circuit through the villages and the towns. Yet Jesus showed very little to, to almost no compassion. It looks like he had no understanding for their personal life, for their family, for their grief, for their sorrow, for their relationships. It's as if Jesus were pushing these people away. This is the same person who allowed the harlot to approach him at the Pharisee's house. Do you remember that at Simon the Pharisee's house? The Pharisee invited Jesus over for dinner and he put him in the best place, gave him probably the best food he had. But in that meal, surrounded by so many important people, after the meal had begun, after the event had started, this woman who was a known sinner, a prostitute, enters the Pharisee's house. My question is, how did the prostitute know where the Pharisee lived? But that's another preaching for another day. <laughs> Just saying. You ever thought about that? That's the things I think about. That's what Pastor Javi thinks about. 
And as she's working her way through the crowd, have you ever seen somebody in a crowd that you want no interaction with? Has that ever happened to you? When you see somebody approaching, somebody coming, you're like, oh, Lord, I hope they don't notice me. I hope they don't see me. Jesus is there having dinner, and he sees, I'm sure he saw, the woman, as the Pharisee said, a woman of that caliber. If he would have known what type of woman she was, again, the Pharisee knew. And it's possible that her attire, her reputation, followed her into that dinner as well. Jesus not only let her approach him, Jesus allowed her to bow before him, to cry upon his feet, to wipe her tears from his feet with her hair, and then to anoint him with costly oil. Jesus allowed that. A woman who was a known practicing prostitute. It's the same Jesus who told a follower, let the dead bury the dead. It's also the same person, Jesus, who interacted with a demon-possessed man. And granted the requests of his demons. The demons asked Jesus, please, don't send us out of this land. Send us into the swine. The demons requested that. And what did Jesus say? That sounds good to me. But he would not grant the request of the young man who wanted to go bury his father. This is the same person who had a lengthy conversation with the Samaritan. At the well. A Samaritan woman in Jesus' time, the Jews didn't speak to the Samaritans because there was some racial tension there. Jesus didn't care. He started to talk with her. He said, hey, give me a drink of water. Much less a Samaritan woman who Jews did not speak with. A Samaritan woman who had had five husbands. And the one that she was shacking up with wasn't her current husband. And Jesus knew that. But he had a conversation with her. He revealed to her one of his I am statements in the book of John. I am. I am the water in which you drink from. You will never thirst again. I am the living waters. He decided to reveal himself to a Samaritan woman living in sin. But he would not allow a man to go home and set his house in order before following him. What the heck is going on? This is the same Jesus. It is within the three and a half years of his ministry. Now the question that comes to my mind, and one of the things I want to share with you this morning, why would Jesus be so tolerant with some and yet so demanding with others. Why is he so tolerant? Why is he so patient with some people? And seemingly shows little to no patience to another group of people. This morning I want to shed light on one of the reasons why. And I also want to make you aware of one very, very important thing. And it is the following.
there is a huge difference between coming to Jesus and following Jesus. Why was Jesus so tolerant to these people? Because they were sinners. Because they were lost. Because they didn't recognize that the light of the world had come in, not only to this world, but to their village. That the light of the world was face to face with them. That's why Jesus was so tolerant with them. That's why Jesus was so patient with them. Well, why wasn't he that tolerant and patient with other people? Because there's a huge difference between believing in Jesus and following Jesus. I don't want to get into this whole thing of first love and all that stuff because if you fall out of first love, you're really falling out of love with God. Your first love is not a stage, it's a person. His name is Jesus. But do you remember when you first came to Christ and everything was new? You read a scripture for the first time and you were... <gasps> it blew you away. Do you remember the, the moments that, that God's grace looked past your immaturity? Anybody? I look at Tito because I've known Tito my whole life. Remember those first days when God would look past our inabilities, our, our, our lack of, of being prepared and being ready? I remember Tito, we used to have a home meeting in his house, and, and uh, him and Albert used to play, this gentleman that, that, that was a pastor in our council. They played one song. Every week that song would be played over and over and over. But God's presence fell in a mighty way. Now, can you imagine if on Sunday morning in this setting, you come in the worship team after weeks of preparation, days of preparation, after being established for eight years, it was the same song over and over. Would that be pleasing? No, that, that'd drive us nuts. But in the beginning... That's all we had. That's what we had to offer God. And God looked past that. There's certain things in our lives where in its initial state and stages, God looks past. God has more patience. There's a huge difference between believing and following. And I want to let you know now, believing in Christ for salvation is the most important decision any human being can take. Can I have an amen? But if you stay there and you don't follow, I promise you that you will experience the Jesus of impatience, of frustration, of even pushing away. He doesn't love you less. He loves you more. And he wants you to follow. He wants you to follow with everything that you have. He wants you to follow with all that you have. Believing is the most important decision a human being can make, but it doesn't end there. The Bible is clear that even the demons believe. We've been called to believe and to follow him into eternity from this life to the next. In January, Bishop David Barlock was, was at our church and he mentioned something within his message that branded me for life. I wrote it down, and I'd like to read it to you. He said this. People try to fit Jesus into all the areas or compartments of their life. Rather, rather than finding their purpose in him. In other words, you want Jesus 
to be reflected in your life as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a son, as an employee, as an employer, as a member of the church, as a minister of the church. We want to make Jesus fit into all these compartments. And that sounds good, but that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came to consume us so that we would find where we fit, so that we would find our purpose in him. It's not about taking Jesus and putting him in all these little boxes of our lives, because if we do that, we're still in charge. We decide when we want to open him up. We decide when we want Jesus to be magnified, as opposed to forsaking all within here, surrendering all within here, and saying to the Lord, I'm yours. I belong to you. You are not only my Savior, you are my Lord. You know, we like to say Lord and Savior, but that, it doesn't really happen in that order. Because Lord means master. I have to recognize him first as Savior before I recognize him as Lord, as master. And when we say, Jesus, you're my Lord and my Savior, what we're saying is, you are the master of my life. You are in charge of me. You have purchased me with your blood. I'm yours. I'm no longer my own. So if you long for the days of long talks with Jesus at the well, you'll get them. But you'll learn more from him on your journey as you follow him. He'll be revealed in his entirety to you to your loved ones, to your church, as you follow him from this life to the next. Notice I'm not saying that one is more important, one is more beautiful than the other. It's just the process of maturation, the process of this journey. I can't stay where I was that day I met Jesus 20 some odd years ago. I'd never grow, I'd never mature. You know, we live in a day and age where people want to make Jesus popular. Where we want to make Jesus fit into the now. Jesus is not going to fit in. Listen, in today's day and age, you can believe and proclaim anything you want and people will accept it until you say the name of Jesus. Recently, I was watching something on television, and I saw a commercial of, of uh, it's this thing coming out in National Geographic with uh, Morgan Freeman. That, that man's voice, man. <sighs> Unbelievable. <laughs> Just. And I don't know where he's at spiritually or anything like that, but he's, he's doing this show about God. And it shows God in all these different religions and, and God in all these different parameters and God in all these different places of the world. That's fine and dandy, but when you say the name of Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, things change. Things change there. And I'm working on this thing, my message this week, and maybe I'll share it when I come back here next time. But this whole thing about Chrislam. Christianity and Islam, are you kidding me? And there are prominent people in the Protestant movement that are opening the doors and trying to break down the walls of separation for the sake of unity. Listen, 
If unity is not found at the cross, if unity is not found at the foot of Jesus, then we're lost. I'd rather be divided. I'd rather be divided. Because there's only one who came to die. There's only one who came to pay the price. There's only one who could pay the price. He did and he rose again from the dead. And that is why we are here. And it begins at the moment of repentance where we turn from our lives and we turn to God. But we've turned to God so that we would follow God. It's not about the church we go to and the things that we experience in church. All that is part of it. But it's not about that. It's about my journey. It's about your journey with Christ. Where he's taking you, what he's showing you, the lessons that you've learned. And by the way, all the lessons that I've learned haven't been all at the mountaintop. I've learned many a lesson down at the, at the foot of the mountain and down in the valley. He was there with me too. And I'd love to tell you that every time I was in a hardship, I just felt God's arm around me saying, Javi, it's going to be okay. There have been times like that. But you know what? Most of the time I hear, get up and go. If you stay here, you die. Get up and go. Follow me. Look to me. You say all the time that you don't need to feel me. Well, you're not going to feel me. Let's see if you're going to follow me. Oh, you say all the time that the righteous live by faith and not by sight. We love to say that, don't we? But what happens when you don't see anything God-like in your life? And we, we either have faith or we don't. The triune God is not interested in winning a popularity contest. He doesn't stress about our attendance record at church. He could care less about the boasting of our achievements and good works that we've done towards God. And furthermore, God is not interested. He's not satisfied, better said. God is not satisfied with your repentance. Yes, I said it and I'll say it again. God is not satisfied with your repentance. But Pastor Javi, the Bible says that the heavens rejoice when one sinner repents. Yes, the heavens rejoice when one sinner repents. But you know how many parties have ended in eternity because the person who they're celebrating decides they don't want to pay the price anymore and they turn back? When the heavens rejoice when you repented, that rejoicing is supposed to continue until the day you enter into eternity. It's not a one-day party to say, hallelujah, welcome to the family. No, it's welcome and let's go. We don't think about that, do we? Or you still think the heavens are rejoicing over the person who came to church, gave their life to Christ, then a year later cheated on their spouse and left their kids. You think the heavens rejoice over that? Shame on you. The heavens don't rejoice over that. The heavens rejoice when you repent and you follow God into eternity. That's when the heavens rejoice. We like to take these one simple verses and just make it apply to where God becomes popular. God could care less about a popularity contest. You know that the Bible says that the angels long to look into our salvation because they don't understand how we could follow and serve a God, believe in a God we haven't seen and we don't see every day. 
That's why we can't imagine that in eternity, they're worshiping God at all times. Because here we get tired. Have you ever had one of those really long worship services? I'm talking about an hour and a half. Or, you know, your legs are like, oh, my God. Your, your legs start tightening up. You know, you're like, can I sit down? Would I be seen as an unbeliever if I sit down? You're raising your hands. You're like, my God, this is awesome, but my, my arms are tired. Or you leave church and you say, man, what a service. But that was long. Right? We don't understand that. We don't understand that in eternity all they do is worship God because they see him. They're before him always. And the angels don't understand how we could worship, how we could give ourselves completely and entirely to a God we don't see every day. He is before them at all times. I, it's not, and you know, we'll, we'll see if, if this is a right uh, interpretation of it or not. They can't help but worship God. They can't help but worship us. They see him, they freak out. You can't help but worship God. Listen, what we've tasted is just a glimpse. I believe that regardless of how close we are to God, we are just at the fringes of his glory. They are there. And they don't understand how we could serve, how we could obey how we could choose to love a God the way we do. They don't understand that and they long to look into him, look into our lives. But know this, the gaze of eternity is upon the lives of those people who are serving God with everything they have. Eternity loses its interest in those people who are fly-by-night believers. People who are in it to get something from God. Eternity loses interest. Jesus also speaks about their angels. I'm not going to get into this today, but theologically speaking, it's safe to say that each person here has an angel who looks over your life. Can you imagine when you meet that angel in eternity? I hope to get a high five. I do. I hope to bam, get a high five from that angel and say, man, I don't know how you did it. There's been some tough times. How many of you say amen? There's been some tough moments along this journey. And eternity peers into our lives and is in awe and wonder on how we do it, on why we do it. But it's not for those who simply came to the cross and received forgiveness of sin. Listen, any fool realizes that I need forgiveness of sin. Anybody test of love comes in the following. The test of faith comes in obedience. Endurance is tested as we follow him on this journey. It took a lot for me to repent. Anybody else? I fought with that for years. No, I fought for that for years. But I'm not back where I was. Because after that moment, the Lord said to me, let's go. Let's go. We're not here to play games. I'm here to change your life. I'm here to transform you. You want forgiveness? I want you. Listen, this life, it comes down to a decision that each one of us have, have to make. My wife says I have an extreme personality. But my extreme personality helps me in this. And that is the following. In this life, it's either all or nothing. This life with God is all or nothing. 
It's not you doing my all and me doing your all. It's not about us comparing our alls. It's about you giving all of you all that God requires of you, all that God expects from you. And here's the thing. This, to me, is the most intriguing thing I've ever thought about in regards to to our lives and our walk with God. I wish God would make known not only to me, but to those people really close to me, all that he expects of me. You want to know why? Because I'd have to be accountable to them. But he doesn't do that. God doesn't say to me, today I told Pastor Rigo everything that I require of you. And he's going to be watching you. He's going to call you at the end of the day. And he's going to say to you, Javi, the Lord told me that he required this of you today. You know what? It would make it easier. You know why it would be easier? Because he's watching me. But the truth of the matter is God doesn't want it that way. God wants us to give him all when he's the only one who knows what that all is. Not even my wife knows what my all is. You could cheat and tell your spouse this is what God wants from me. Go ahead. But then God's going to ask you for something you won't dare tell to another soul. Not even your wife. And God's going to test you. And he's going to see if you're willing to do it or not. Because I'm here to tell you today, this life is all or nothing. Ephesians 5 verse 6 is clear. It says, let no one deceive you with empty words. Now people think that those, those that are deceiving are the ones with microphone in their hands in churches that are, let's say, you know, we're not going to bash anybody, but, you know, watered down gospel places where whatever, you know, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not even going to get into that because then I can't come here and ex- explain myself away next week. You just leave with that impression that Pastor Javi was bashing somebody. So I'm not going to do that. But those are not the only ones who are deceiving people. People are being deceived. People are being cheated out of the entirety of the gospel. God's purpose is not that we love him him and attempt to bring him down to our lives in order to conform him to us, to our plans, to our desires. That's not God's plan. God's purpose is to draw us to himself and to elevate us to where he is. Ephesians says we are seated where? In heavenly places. Now we are going to be seated The Bible says we are currently seated in heavenly places. I don't know about you, but every day I don't feel I'm up there. Is that God's fault? No, it's mine. It's mine. Because I've allowed something, I've allowed someone, an instance, a circumstance, a good thing, a bad thing, to keep me from where I should be seated. My duty now as a pastor and overseer in our council is to prepare the bride for Christ. That may make me some friends, but it also make me some enemies. That's all right. You have to make a decision to not be deceived and not allow yourself to be deceived or cheated. The King James reads that scripture like this. Let no one deceive you with vain words. I've said it here, I think I've said it here, but I've said it in my church a hundred times. Popular cliches and catchphrases will get you nowhere. 
You can know all the popular cliches and the catchphrases in the Christian uh, realm. It's going to get you nowhere. In this life, you have to surrender all to God. Or at the end, we're going to receive nothing. The word that Paul uses for empty there is kinos. And it speaks of someone who boasts of a transcendent faith. In other words, a faith that matters here on earth and it transcends into eternity. Yet is absent of fruit. We are practicing a vain belief system if our faith doesn't have fruit. If our faith does not produce something, then the faith is vain. It's empty. And what's worse is nobody's cheating you. You're cheating yourself. Our life with God does not consist about our attendance at church. Our life with God consists about the fruit that our faith produces. A vain faith is a faith that lacks endeavors. What was the last challenge your faith encountered? Oh, I remember five years ago. Five years ago? Is that your last endeavor? A faith that lacks labor. A faith that has not fought. But yet when we fight, we think we're weak. When we're fighting and we're battling, we think there's something wrong. We think we're in the wilderness. No! It's the other way around. When we're comfortable, when we're complacent, when nothing's happening, when we feel good all the time, that's a trap. We've lost sight of what, the, what our patriarchs and the forefathers of our faith went through. They died for saying they believed in Jesus. A vain faith is a faith without effect. And it's not about words. It's about a life that backs those words up. Because if you are sincere in your journey with Christ, and I believe people need to speak about their faith, if you're sincere about your journey in Christ, people will ask you, what's wrong with you? Why are you so peaceful? How come you don't lose it? How come I don't see you stabbing people in the back? How come you're sincere? How come you're pure? That's a faith that has effect. When Paul said an empty, a vain faith, it's a faith with no purpose. A faith that results in nothing. That's what that word kinos means. A faith that results in nothing. Like my mom used to say, que Dios te libre. May God keep us from that, from a faith that leads to nothing. I'm here to tell you that you've been called for more. We've been called for more. And the only way to receive what's been separated for us is to be all in with God. God wants all of you. God will not be satisfied with your gifts, your talents, your dreams, all the pretty stuff. You know, we like to give that to God. Our dreams, our plans, our grace, our talents. We love to give that to God. He's not satisfied with that. He wants that.
But God is not satisfied with only the pretty things, the good things that you have to offer him. God demands your issues, your weaknesses, your faults, your flaws, your fears, and yes, your sin. God wants that too. Why? Because that's the only way we're going to be transformed. Don't you see people coming to church week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, and they've got the same problems? Why is that? Because they only want to give God the good things. They keep the rest of that back. And they say, no, I'm going to deal with that. I'm praying about it. You ain't praying about nothing. You're a liar. There's no way you're dealing with this for years upon years, and God is okay with it. The only way to be transformed is to give it all to God. But we're scared to give God our weaknesses, our flaws, our fears, and our sin. Why? Because we've grown accustomed to it. We are attached to them. And we say we want God to do a work, but we always hold it back. And we come into church and the Spirit of God is hovering and moving and saying to you, this is what I want from you. And you say, no, no, I can't yet. And we go in and out of church every week and there's no change. That's why people fall. You know, people always ask that. People are in church and they see somebody in church do stupid things. And they ask, well, why did that happen? Why? Because they weren't open with God. Because they were playing church. Oh, but they were here for years. Oh, they were good at it. They were good at deceiving people, but not God. The problem isn't church. The problem is the people who are not willing to give it all to God. That's the problem. We had a situation like that recently in our church. And several people say, but pastor, how? Pastor, why? What? Jesus said, in the last days, the heart of many and the love of many will grow cold. But is something wrong? Is something wrong in the church? No, is something wrong with you? No, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm not perfect. This doesn't speak of the church. It speaks of the person and their unwillingness to give it all to God. Oh, but they were active in church. Anybody could be active in church when they give God their talents, their grace, their time. But when you hold back your flaws, your weaknesses, your sin, well, why does God use them? Because God loves the church. And they had something that could benefit the body. But the moment came where they had to give it all or nothing, and they chose nothing. There's no way around it. For each one of us, it has to be all or nothing. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Turn there if you would. This is my last uh, verse. I apologize if I've raised my voice today. I've had a cold for two days, and I don't hear myself. So if I'm a little loud today. It's, I'm a little congested as well. So forgive me. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Is everybody there? Is it up? And you shall love the Lord your God with almost all of your heart, with almost all of your soul, and with almost all of your strength. Is that what your Bible says? You wouldn't accept that from me right here standing at the pulpit, at the altar of God, reading God's word. You wouldn't accept that, right? You wouldn't accept for the preacher to say, God wants you to love him with almost all of your heart, with almost all of your soul, 
and with almost out of your strength. So why is it we give him almost and we're okay with it? We're actually happy with it. Why is it when we do better than others but we're still not giving all that God wants from us? We're the ones who pat ourselves on the back. Why are we okay with almost? But this sounds absurd to you when I say Deuteronomy 6.5, God says to you, you shall love me with almost all of your heart, with almost all of your soul, and with almost all of your strength. It sounds absurd, doesn't it? It's unacceptable. Yet we examine our lives and we see that we're giving more than we used to give. More of our strength more of our heart and more of our soul and we're okay with it. God's never okay with more. Man is the one who says more is good. God could care less about more. He wants all. Let's read it the right way, shall we? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. Stand with me this day. I want to let you know or remind you that Deuteronomy 6.5 is not a request. God is not requesting all of your heart. He's not requesting all of your soul. He's not requesting all of your strength. This is a command. God is demanding all of your heart. God is demanding all of your soul. And God is demanding all of your strength. Now the question I have for you this day is as follows. If God requires all of your heart, if God requires all of your soul, and if God requires all of your strength, how will you get by with anything less? I ask you today, will God accept anything less than all from you? I'm asking you. I want to hear the answer. Are you sure of that? Are you sure that God will accept nothing less than all from your life? Are you sure of that? Then I don't know about you, but I need to stop wasting time. And once God reveals something, once God speaks something to you, it's got to be done. off. We, we say, I'm waiting on God. We're not waiting on God. We're avoiding God. And for, if you're here today and you think that this is impossible, you're missing the key to all this. If you're thinking about all the things you need to do, all the decisions you need to make, all the changes that have to be done, if you're thinking about all that, you've missed sight of what God says here. 
and you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your soul. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your strength. And I'm not adding that there. That's a continuation of what he said. He begins that scripture. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your soul. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your strength. If you give it all or don't give enough, what it came down to is your love for God. That's all it is. That's all it is. It has nothing to do with anybody else. It has nothing to do with your abilities. With your spirituality. It has nothing to do with it. It has everything to do with your love for God. I know that God will accept nothing less than my own. Do I have any friends? Can we pray together today? If you're here today and you can recognize that God wants everything from you and will accept nothing less than everything, right there where you are, just raise your hands with me. Spirit revealed to you. Ask your master to speak to you. He's more than your Savior. He is your Lord. He is your guide in this life. All you have to do is love him with all that you have. You say to the Lord today, I'm all in, Lord. Get out those flaws today. Get out those weaknesses today. Get those faults out. Get those character issues out today. Get that sin out. And give it all to Him. Stop hiding it. You look ridiculous. Stop living. Stop walking around as a person in want when the God who has saved you and rescued you wants to give you everything. But He will only give you everything if you surrender all to Him. Stop reminiscing about the early years. About what you saw years ago, days ago, months ago. Look to Him. Look forward. Look to eternity. Look at the journey that's ahead. God isn't satisfied with your repentance. Don't make the mistake of being satisfied with the fact that you repented. That was a huge decision, a smart decision at that. On this day, determine within yourself follow him to follow him
him wherever you go to not look back to not let go of the plow regardless of what's ahead say to him today I will love you with all of my heart I will love you with all of my soul I will love you with all of my strength. You will expect nothing less of me. Nor will I expect and accept nothing less of myself. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, as we stand here in your presence, oh God, having heard clearly of you and from you it's all or nothing oh God we give it all to you we surrender ourselves completely and entirely to you holding nothing back in the name of Jesus oh God strengthen us equip us oh God Uphold us, O oh Lord. And when all that we could do is cling to you as we cling to you, get us to where we need to go, O oh Lord. But we stand here this day, having made a covenant with the God who gave it all for us. We give it all to you. We hold nothing back. Forgive us of the times we've held back when people think and perceive that we've given you everything yet we know the truth forgive us of those times we're here to look forward we're here to look at the things that you have for us and we're here to say we'll love you with all of our heart we'll love you with all of our soul we'll love you with all of our strength until the day you come and rescue us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And amen and amen.